0: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Mountain Buck Monday, the series of East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about my own Mountain Buck Monday story instead of uh, giving a listener one on today's episode. So, I'm going to go through and break down everything about how I found the area um, to that ended up at, resulting, I guess, in taking my biggest buck to date with a bow. Not my biggest buck. In general, the one last year was a little bit bigger, but he um, he was definitely my biggest one with a bow. So I want to talk about that entire experience here. But first, thanks to Spartan Forge for being the title sponsor of the podcast. The Spartan Forge app utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement. And the new app also includes GPS mapping with incredible aerial imagery, offline dependability deer prediction weather updates journal entries and much more the beta app is released now so some of you if you jumped in early are able to use the app right now and the purpose of this is to work out the final bugs before it is released to the rest of the the public so understand that the beta testing is used for testing and that purpose so there will be some bugs and get them worked out before it goes full scale Soon. You can still sign up now uh, over on the website and use a coupon code East Meets West to save some cash at SpartanForge.ai. And then once the app fully releases again, you'll have a chance to, to be able to download that and start using it, which hopefully should be here in another week or so, but not not exactly sure on that. And then Tethered is a company founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. And I was using the the Tethered system here on this hunt that I'm about to tell you about. So you'll hear a little bit there. Find more at TetheredNation.com. And Maven is building the highest quality optics at half the price of their competitors through that direct-to-consumer business model. They're trying to create the best optics for the job, period. Lifetime, no-fault warranty, and an incredible customer experience. I use the B3 8x30 small binoculars for all my whitetail hunts. They're super lightweight and do well even for that small package in low light. You can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full-price Optics order at mavenbuilt.com. Go wild is a free social community built by hunters for hunters with no censorship. So if you want to join me today on go wild, it's free to enter and you get 10 bucks to spend on gear just for setting up your account and you'll keep unlocking go wild rewards. And now you can see my gear setups underneath my profile. It's just under my name, Bo Martonic, and you can join at download time to go and use the code East meets West to save 10% off of all the hunting gear that is on their website so definitely check that out. All right. Now let's dive into the, the story here. Let's get right into it. Um, so I'm going to start from the beginning. Let's go back to 2020. So I found a new area on the map that I really wanted to check out and was trying to, you know, it had everything that I was kind of looking for. And when I'm looking for a new area, I'm really looking at habitat diversity and with a little bit of terrain diversity mixed into that so this area had everything from newer logging cuts old logging cuts had big timber it had hemlock stands it had swampy bottoms I mean it had everything that you would be looking for for that diversity to grow some older age class of deer and when I started scouting it in the spring of 2020 it was very obvious that this area had had exactly what I was looking for. And I'd found some nice sheds, not off the specific buck yet in in 2020, but I knew that it had potential. So I started running cameras in there last year, and and really it was a big uh, learning lesson for me in there that first year. I ran cameras on a bunch of different elevations around some different vegetation, some places I thought they might be bedding. On scrapes, um, you know, on the tops, on the side hills, and the creek bottom. I ran probably 10 or 10 to 12 cameras in last year. I went kind of more all in on a new area with cameras than I typically would. Usually I'd run three or four because I just don't, I don't have, I mean, I have a lot of cameras. I have just over 30 of them now, but. I usually spread them out with different areas and new areas. I don't give a whole lot of attention, but from the sheds I had found and everything in there, I knew this would be an area I might hunt on the first year. And I ended up hunting it quite a bit last year when Justin was here filming and just wasn't completely on top of them. I did not hunt it at all in the early season, just really focused on it in the rut and a little bit um, in rifle season. But I, I, I learned a whole lot about the movement in that area based off of my trail camera knowledge and some of the firsthand experience I had. And what happened was some things had changed, though. There was uh, new logging operations that kind of moved into the area late last year and definitely changed movement and making that more of a primary um, food source in that in that location. So in the late season I started picking up this buck. Well, I I had him early on too, but not not as often as I did in the late season. And it was this really nice looking nine point that I had assumed was a four year old. I'm thinking he was a four year old last year. I'm gonna send the teeth in to, to uh, see if he was actually five this year he could be older he looked he looked older this year but I was thinking he's a four-year-old last year and I had him I mean on a bunch of my different cameras but he always seemed to be going to that logging cut in the evening and coming back in the morning and looked like I had kind of a general area nailed down to where he would bed on specific winds and I, I didn't have it nailed down to a specific bed, but I had a specific area that I thought he was that he was betting in. And it, when I say that he they were he was using it consistently, I'm not meaning like every day. I've never had a big whiz deer that I could pattern down to every day. I'm talking about more. I don't know how to even put it. Say three times in a week and a half span um, doing something similar. I mean that's that's a lot for these the you know environment these deer living in there i'm not i'm not getting again deer on a a pattern i'm like okay i see him do this for three days in a row i'm gonna go hunt the fourth day that just doesn't happen but i use that knowledge from that late season stuff to realize all right this deer is really preferring this fresh logging cut and i i've learned that they do a lot of the similar stuff in the late season as they do the early season especially when there's an absence of apples and acorns, when there's not those and there's only really browse and some secondary food sources, it's not, they're, they're going to do a lot of the similar stuff, at least from my experience. So I was in there in the spring and I was looking for this particular buck sheds, um, as well as some others. And, I found one of them after checking my trail camera and noticing that on January, I think it was the 18th, he had lost one antler. Well, I had him on the day before the 17th going into an area with no, with, with both antlers on and then him coming out about, I don't know, quarter mile away on the other side in the next morning in the dark with just one side on and he was heading a specific direction. So I ended up finding the side, the, the second one that he lost, I found it um, sometime in the spring in the direction he was heading. I found that one, but I couldn't find his other side until it was the day before turkey season. I was going in to try to roost some gobblers and I ended up getting sidetracked as I normally do and was just scouting for deer. And I found, I found his other side, it was a little bit chewed up in this thick hemlock cover and. And so that was, that was kind of like, all right, I've got both of his antlers now. And this deer lives in this area. He spends a lot of time there. But the one thing I noticed from studying all my trail cameras, logging all the data and the Google sheets and the wind direction, the weather and the dates and every, all he's moving, he did not, he, I didn't have much, I didn't have many pictures of him during the rut. Um, So I don't know if he leaves the area or I just wasn't, my cameras weren't in the the right areas there, but I had more information on him early and late. And I kind of figured that to strike on this deer, I was going to have to do it differently than I normally would. I mean, I take my time off my, my vacation and everything during the rut. So that's typically when I end up killing my deer. And I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna have to think outside the box and try to figure out this deer early on. And what, what happened was I put all my cameras out in 2021 and added a few and kind of structured it around. And I, I ran them on scrapes all summer, the same ones I ran them on in the fall. Um, and I started picking up that big nine again. And I honestly didn't think he got a whole lot bigger from the trail camera pictures, which I was very much underestimating his size once I got up to him. But, I started getting them on these scrapes and um, I checked the last time I checked him was in August or no, it was middle of September. Right. When I got back from, from Colorado, I uh, went in there with my dad and had seen him in there and had a couple pictures of them, hard horned September the 10th, I think was the last time I had him at that point. And I was like, all right, he's still in the area. He's still here. So when my when I took my dad in there, it was the first time I took him into this area. It was just getting his opinion and view on things. And and we were going through and just wind mapping the area with with milkweed. So I'd go to my potential sets and drop milkweed at specific locations and figure out how the wind was moving through those areas. Well, a specific creek bottom trail that – this buck had used a lot in the late season was interesting because it was wide enough that it had you could, if you were in the bottom of that trail, the predominant wind typically worked like in the favor of the deer, like it went in the direction it was supposed to. But I found a tree that was set up right on the creek bank. The Creek was directly below me and it just pulled downhill thermals. I mean, I was there in the afternoon And it was still pulling downward thermal. So I'm like, I think I could set up in this tree no matter what the wind direction is and be kind of covered. So I had that in the back of my mind. And one of the things I noticed from looking at those trail camera pictures from the late season was he liked coming back in the mornings from that logging cut heading into that bedding area on a southwest wind. The wind would be quartering to him slightly. He likes south and southwest. And the wind would be quartering to him slightly, so giving him that advantage. But, you know, that tree was just golden. So I looked at it, and we had a couple cold nights there right in a row. And had some—there's no cell service directly in that bottom— Um, not enough to run a cell camera. There was enough in there to send text messages and such, but not, not have enough for the actual, um, cell camera. So I had a couple cell cameras on the tops of these Hills. And I noticed that two days before, uh, the season, one of some cold nights, those mornings, I had some buck movement hitting scrapes and not him, but I had some specific, um, or I had some deer moving, and I was like, "All right, the morning going into the first day is gonna be cold, about forty degrees or so." I think I'm gonna go in and try to hunt this deer in the morning. My Spartan Forge app had said for that morning that the movement would be transition area, so in between that food and bedding in daylight. So I used that knowledge on that southwest wind to go in there, and that played a, uh, it, it played a role in giving me that confidence in that setup for the first day. Well, the access to go in there, the way I needed to get in there was, um, it was 1.7 something miles in, um, to, to get up in there, just running the creek bottom the whole way. And I, so I went up in early in the morning, climbed my trees. So, Threw the tethered sticks around the the tree, went up and set my platform. Kind of man, I was I was in this I was in this birch tree that was up against a bunch of um, hemlocks, so my background was just covered perfectly as far as camo goes. And but the branches it was so tough to climb up; they were like hitting me in the back and these big hemlock branches. I'm trying to move them out of the way as I'm going up, and got into position probably about. 45 to 50 minutes before first light even cracked. And then when you're in those thick hemlocks, like this bottom was, it was like, it was literally 25 minutes after legal shooting light before I could even see well enough to shoot because it was just so dark in there and so thick of cover. And with the sound of the crick there, I couldn't hear. And then with how thick it was, I couldn't see much. So I just had to be ready. And I thought maybe at first light would be my only chance I didn't really expect I figured he'd be, if he was going to move back to his bedding area which was pretty close to where I was set up I'd say I was within about 200 yards of where I thought he would be bedding uh, maybe even closer if he was bedding on the one hillside it might have been only 100 yards but I was close and about 8 a.m. a little bit before 8 i see antlers coming through the woods i mean like picture perfect he was kind of off a trail at first and then he hit the main trail where i wanted him to and i could see my exodus camera sitting there on the tree and he's directly behind it and in a matter of from the time i saw him he i saw him about 25 yards away grabbed my bow off my hanger had my knees against the tree in the saddle as soon as he went behind some some uh branches there and his eyes were covered, i drew back And just waited, he walked out and I stopped him at about 14 yards and I shot and I shot right underneath his armpit, completely missed him at 14 yards. The most easy, the easiest shot that I could have ever wanted. I completely blew it. And as soon as I did it, I knew exactly what I did. I went through my steps as far as, you know, Joel Turner talks about your shot process and your release. My release was good, but what I didn't do was I didn't go through the beginning things. The most, the most simple number one thing you learn from the first time you archery hunt from an elevated position is you bend at the waist, not dropping your arm. And I didn't do that. I, I didn't, I had, there was no other way about it. Simple mistake. I'm embarrassed to say it, but it happened and I shot right underneath him. (laughs) So I, and I was using my 25 yard pin and I held a little bit low, like down at the heart, which was dumb too from, from that position. I mean, it's only a two inch difference from choosing my 25 yard pin at 15 yards. Like it's not, I didn't need to do that. And I did, but because of it being so loud by the crick, didn't hear my bow go off. And I mean, That that prime nexus I'm using is pretty quiet as it is and where the arrow hit was kind of a soft bank and some of the pine needles and stuff there so he didn't know what happened he just kind of like looks around started walking away looking back so waited until he got behind some trees I grabbed another arrow knocked it and went to full draw again. He's kind of walking away at this point. I stop him, and he takes another step. I don't have any view of his vitals, so I'm just sitting there. Well, he's looking back at this point. He's starting to get a little bit like nervous. What what is going on? What is this noise? And he starts walking again. I felt like I was at full draw for quite a while. And he goes out and he hits this opening in the gap. And I stop him again. And I see quarter in away. Um, and I I just I didn't even look it as far as. How far the yardage is? I just went off the body size of the deer and my instincts. So I shoot in my yard all the time, with just my twenty-five yard pin, and then my second pin is a forty-yard on my my. I have a Spot Hog Fast Eddie XL on there, and I practice kind of pin gapping and and being able to guesstimate yardage without the range finder. There, I figured use you know I after I shot, I figured it's about forty-five yards, but ended up being fifty-three yards and I felt so steady so calm and kind of in a revenge mode there for how bad I screwed up this easy shot and I shot and I heard the shot hit and it sounded good I did hear a little bit of a whack but it didn't sound like a just like smack in that front shoulder it sounded like you hit the pocket and it went and maybe hit that opposite shoulder I'm like quartering away that's good he blows he goes running off and I don't I don't see, I don't hear him crash. Um, he went sprinting down the correct the direction that I walked in and went with, the, you know, with the wind in his, his face there as he ran away. And I'm like, dang it. You know, I didn't hear him, didn't hear him go down. I'm trying to figure out the situation. I'm looking through my binos. I can't find my arrow. I can find my first arrow that I missed. And I'm like, all right. So I waited in the tree for about an hour, called my dad and he didn't hunt in the morning. So I was like, you want to come out and helped me look here and I kind of gave him the direction to hike in so that he wouldn't spook it if you know if it was alive and he would run into it on the way in so he did a big loop around came in and while he was coming in I climbed down like I said about an hour after I shot and started looking for my arrow and I can't find it and I start but I find blood right away good blood quite a bit of blood and he's moving he's moving and uh, my dad comes in and we start following it and we're going, I'm like, good, this is looking good. We're going to find him right here. And after, then we get about 180 yards in and the blood starts to kind of dry up. And the whole time I did not walk in his tracks, even after I found the blood stayed off of it. I'm like, in the back of my mind, I was like, if I ever have to use a blood tracking dog, which up to this point I'd never have before that I need to stay off this trail. Well, once it started drying up, I was like, I am not risking pushing this deer right now what I figured I did was with him quartering away I thought I hit up too far forward and that it went through and maybe one lunged him and and hit in that opposite you know the front of the opposite shoulder and that was the whack I heard but there was nothing so I called uh well I called like four different blood trackers um and ended up getting the one I called originally because I'd met this guy before, Nick Getz, and he brought Jake Lister, um, another guy, and they, they drove quite a ways to be able to to come help me out, which was awesome. And but he's like, Hey, I don't I don't track anything before six hours, especially after he asked me a ton of questions about the shot, I mean, very professional, knows what he's doing, tracks a ton of deer. I'm like, okay. So we got out of there and waited until he came in. We get hit the, the dogs on the track and Jake's dog, um, right off the bat, he had, um, it was his first time on a deer and it was so cool to watch him walk. Uh, he followed the blood and he got in, um, he got to where we lost blood and it wasn't used to picking up deer scent yet, but did amazing up to that point. And then, um, Nick brought his dog Nova over and she just started picking up the scent of the deer right away. And it crossed kind of this gravel, this whole gravel gated road and, um, down a little ways, but couldn't pick up a scent on that gravel road and kept working up and down until I found it again. We started working down another couple hundred yards and just like super confident. And then we got it right on the creek bank and there was some like sandy areas and you could see his track in there. I'm like, yeah, it's his track. And we just get up on the other side of the bank, and Nick looks at me and he's like, "Your deer's still alive." And I said, "How do you know?" He's like, "She's pulling like crazy, like we're close." And right at that point, we look up and that deer jumps up, bedded out in this golden rod patch underneath a little group of trees in a high spot, and jumps up, and you could see he's just hurt bad, and we're like you know, shit, like damn it we're gonna we're gonna have to back out like there's no I don't want to push this deer you could push them forever um and it's also the the legal requirement if you have a a dog if you see the deer and it's alive you have to back out so we backed out we're like we're gonna have to come in 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 the morning um just because at that point again I thought it was one lung I didn't know exactly what the the shot had been And so we come in the next morning and bring a team of people because it had rained hard overnight. So figured the scent was going to be washed away and the dogs probably wouldn't be able to help at that point. went right to the point where we saw him at, found his bed, and saw the direction he headed. So we went down and just grid searched down the creek bottom. We walked a mile down it, nothing, came back up the other side, nothing. Like, all right, let's go back to the point where we saw him at. And there's a patch of golden rods the opposite direction that we saw him run. Let's go through that. And we walked through that and my, heard my dad yell and he walked right up on it. It, uh, he'd only went 60 yards, but he went in the opposite direction that we saw him run. And he was laying there dead. And what I had found out from that point was my shot, it hit he was quartering away harder than, than I anticipated where I thought at the shot. So I'm not sure if he's sp- like spun a little bit when I, when he heard the sound of the bow go off, cause he was more alert at that point. Or if he was just quartering that far away, I really don't know either way. It was quartering away harder and it went in back through the guts and then slammed into that opposite front shoulder. So it went through guts, liver and one lung. And, so if if we would have known that from the beginning, then we would have went back in there that night, you know, after we had jumped him, you know, went in without the dogs and went in, you know, maybe four hours later and he would have been, I mean, I bet he died within an hour of when we saw him that Saturday afternoon. But unfortunately, you know, we had to wait, but that was with the knowledge that we had, that's what we had, that's what we decided to do and went in and, you know, found him there. And I was, you know, so excited to be able to find this deer is a magnificent animal and to be able to to get him on the first day. But it really kind of tainted the experience for me a little bit with the fact that, you know, that the, the animal did have to suffer there. And when, so that night that we left him there overnight, it was warm. It was, it, it never got down below 50 degrees so once we got there and started cutting them up it was pretty obvious that the meat was not good and i tried anything i could and it just everyone's like no this you can't this deer is not not good to, to be able to consume so that was really really hard um unfortunately that's, that is what it is. That's what happened. Um, I'm telling everyone this as just being open and honest, it could hide it and say that, you know, everything went just well, but it didn't. And I'm not happy about it. Um, some stupid mistakes that, that I had made there from the the shot process standpoint that should never have happened. I should have been able to kill him at 14 yards and and he should have went 60 yards and, and died, but that's not what happened. And that's, sometimes that's bow hunting. But I will be doing a a better job at at, uh, practicing more and more from an elevated position. I practice at least four to five times per week regularly throughout the yard shooting from different positions and angles and all this stuff, but not much out of the tree. And just that's, again, that's on me. And I will do better at that um, going forward, already have started. So I went in there actually to... I left my saddle um, platform and sticks in the tree, and I just went in there yesterday to get it out and went up to where my deer was, and there's literally nothing left of it there is nothing left of it not even bones those coyotes and i'm sure bears everything my cell cams in the area were lighting up this whole week with coyotes and bears and everything and they had eaten every little thing the birds everything so that animal did not go to waste i'm just very upset about the the fact that i wasn't able to to get that but um anyways that it was it was uh going back to just the whole process behind finding that deer and and going after him, It was, it was a good feeling from the standpoint that I had an opportunity on the first day and I'd figured that deer to, for, you know, the numbers guys out there, I figured that he would score gross score about 140 inches and the body was so big on him. I actually thought it might've been a little bit less when I was looking at him. But uh, after I had him scored, he ended up gross scoring at 147 inch even, which is incredible. I uh, just wouldn't expected that for a nine point. Um, my one last year was 154 and something um, that I shot with a rifle. So my two biggest whitetails in Pennsylvania, two years in a row, back to back. I just, I don't know what to say. I'm just incredibly uh, lucky from that standpoint, and I don't know. It just keeps keeps motivate me to continue to work more and now get better, you know, with that process at the moment of the truth and making sure I capitalize there. So, um, hope that the, the story there had some, some learning lessons that some people can pull from. Um, you know, it was definitely a, uh, not a typical setup, um, for the early season, you know, crick bottom morning hunt, all of that stuff, but that's what the situation told me. And I made a reasonable assumption, figured high risk, high reward. It's early. If, if I blow them out, it is what it is and things will settle down. Um, so that's what I did. Ended up working out uh, from that standpoint. And I hope everyone else is um, had a good opening day there and is working through this warm weather we have, better days are to come. And I really, really appreciate everyone for, for listening and giving me, you know, um, all the, the positive comments and everything else and, and messages that I've received, uh, based on it. So I hope everyone else again has a, has a great season. I apologize. This mountain buck Monday went longer than the typical 15 minute episode, but wanted to give you the full background on this story and give you the hunt breakdown. Well, have a good weekend and good luck.